back to the Early Way In podcast, last episode of 2022. This week, we break down UFC Vegas 66, going down this Saturday back at the Apex. Our headliner is at middleweight between Jared Cannonier taking on Sean Strickland. And in the co-main event, one of the highest level fights you can make at 155 right now between Armin Sarukin and Demiris Magulov. Could have very easily headlined this card. Total of 14 on the records for Saturday to end the year. I'm excited to break down these big fights, decide where there's some spots we think money to be made. Uh, we both, man, ended the year on an incredible fourth quarter. I uh, have both finished uh, in the green, profited 12 of our last 16 tracked events. Uh, ended the year on a bang, man, and, you know, last week, again, profiting a couple units would have even been a little bit more if they gave that decision to Ankalaev. But uh, 282 was a very, very good pay-per-view despite the only two times the judges being needed, screwing up. Ton of finishes, man. Great pay-per-view to end the year, and I thought our reads were on point for you to go through. Yeah, absolutely. I'm back in the hat this week, but again, it's the way that I want it to happen where we're both in the green. Taking a look at your card first, uh, Chris Curtis was an underdog we both hit. I thought he looked awesome in there. You know, We did exactly what he thought he was, going to have to survive that early storm and then picked his shots. You had one unit at plus 143 there to win you 1.43. And then another pick that I actually liked was the Billy Q over Alexander Hernandez. I think it's apparent that Hernandez does not have that dog in him, yeah. and Billy Q is the exact opposite. Right. I think that that was an excellent play at minus 160. I think uh, the the mess up is maybe the overexposure on Eric Silva. You had close to two units, and it was just a low-level fight in general. Um, but... Not not something that slowed down your night at all. You ended up the night plus 4.33 units, continuing that win streak. Moving over to my card, my I'm going to say it, maybe my best read of the year so far, Ilya Taporia over Bryce Mitchell. It hurt me. It, it was a tough one to pick, but um, Ilya went in there and did the damn thing. Yeah. Um, I think the most disappointing fight on, or the most disappointing bet on my card is probably Darren Till, man. We both had him. Yeah. Um, him coming in with maybe uh, an injury prior to the fight, um, but just the ACL tear, not being able to sprawl, he just did not look good. Even though he almost won that fight on a torn ACL, it was uh, it was disappointing to say the least. I ended up the night plus three point six three units, and uh, yeah, man, let's let's knock it out, get one more positive night for us to end off the year. Our main event is in the middleweight division, where we see Jared. The Gorilla Cannoneer taking on Sean Strickland. I think Sean has dealt with quite a bit of criticism after his last performance against Alex Pereira, the new middleweight champion, but I don't understand why people thought anything else was going to happen. You know, Sean tells you exactly what he's going to do regardless of the opponent. That's to stand in the middle of the octagon with that cocksucker guard and look to throw hands. And truthfully, I think that's a pretty bold strategy here against Jared Cannoneer on Saturday. Cannoneer, he's coming into this fight off a loss to the former champ, Israel Adesanya. And in that fight, Adesanya did Adesanya things, man. Um, Jared really struggled dealing with the range and the movement and struggled to even get around off of Adesanya. Um, but here fighting Strickland, you know, Jared will be dealing with far less movement and footwork, and I think it'll be much more catered to his style of fight. That being said, Jared, uh, this the first challenge Jared's going to have in the octagon on Saturday is the distance striking of Sean Strickland. For what it's worth, Sean does have a killer jab, and he uses it as a range finder, which can be very effective in keeping his opponents at the end of his punches. Where I think Jared could have success in the stand-up is the leg kicks. Sean has this tall man stance, and if Jared can hide those leg kicks when he's coming in off combinations, it could disrupt that forward movement of, of Strickland. It's not, mu it's not as much of a concern, but it definitely is worth mentioning that Sean's 
coming off of a knockout loss only five months ago. Um, I, I think it's I think it's safe to say that Strickland right now against Cannoneer, he's fighting probably the hardest puncher outside of Alex Pereira that he's ever fought in his in his UFC career. So that's got to be something that's on the back of his mind coming into this fight. Um, I know both these guys have seen the judges a few more times in their careers than one would hope, but I do think that this is a matchup where they both have finishing potential. Jared, for obvious reasons, with his power punching, but Sean, much more of a collective damage over the course of the fight. And uh, combined with that constant forward pressure, I do think that he could could melt Cannoneer if this goes later on into the fight. Um, I think I'll be officially siding with Cannoneer. I think he'll end up finding that button over the course of five rounds. I know he can carry that power into the later rounds, and Sean's ego, it does kind of allow for him to open up holes. And so it's either deciding between a, a squeaky clean performance from Sean or Jared just to touch him once, and coming off that KO loss, I do tend to side towards Jared here. It's a real interesting fight. You talked about them both coming off losses to the champion and then, you know, now or former champion and now champion, but... I'm a bit more concerned on the side of Jared Cannonieri, who's now 38 years old, you know, and worked so hard to, like, get to the belt. Israel's like Jared's the next challenger. He goes out there and loses to Whitaker and then has to go win a couple more just to get to uh, Israel. And like you said, real underwhelming performance. Couldn't even steal a round off of him. So, you know, I do wonder about the motivation, the mindset here uh, to climb the ranks again. For Strickland, I almost feel like he doesn't really give a shit about the belt you know you talk about him he's willing to go back in there with Perea strike the same way he said just keep his right hand a little bit higher and it you know it's not what you like to see because I laid money on him versus Perea and it's just a guy who could have a strength and an advantage somewhere but like Kevin Holland just isn't going to take it you know almost lets the ego get in the way um for Cannoneer though I don't know neither one of us have really ever been high on the guy you know there's not really a lot of substance or skill set there either um, but a lot of power, known for used to being a heavyweight, now made his way down to middleweight. And if there is any, you know, clinching, grappling going on, I, you know, I feel like Sean being an ex-welterweight probably could see some disadvantages getting his back off the fence. And um, But as far as all-out wrestling, I, I don't really see that being a factor in this fight whatsoever. You got Jared, who's landed one takedown in his last nine fights. And if that's the game plan ever over five rounds for the first time, I don't really think I can trust the cardio there. But on the feet, you touched on the leg kicks. Sean struggled with those. I think the Brendan Allen fight early. Um, and then as well, a body kick. You know, Sean's guard is already so fucking high with the cocksucking guard he's got. Body kicks, body work is going to drop those hands, um, you know, so that Jerry can land that power up top. For Strickland, though, I think I do favor his hands a little bit better, although there's not a whole lot else besides a jab and a right hand. I do think he's a cleaner striker of the two. You know, no real offensive wrestling. I don't even think he's the best defensive wrestler. I think he's pretty lucky to have avoided the Brunson's and Vittori's of the middleweight division so far. Um, I I think the forward pressure of Sean, the constant in-your-face jab, volume, maybe some shit talk, and I think it's going to frustrate Jared a little bit and get him off his rhythm. Um, as far as money line way, I think it, it's too close for me to have a, a money line bet on either side here. I'm going to be laying off the last main event of the year, but I'm going to side the other way. I am going to side with Strickland, um, probably by decision on FanDuel. That's plus 220. I think that's his win condition. Much rather be laying something on that than his money line. So I'm going to side with Strickland, but I'm not too confident. In the co-main event, we have Armin Sarukian taking on Demiris Magulov. 
people's main event here 100%, man. It is it is one of the absolute highest level fights I think the UFC made right now. Um, this division has some absolute killers in it. And props to, you know, both of these guys for fighting good competition right out the gates, taking these matchups and not trying to cherry pick their way through the lightweight division. For, uh, for Armin... I, th- I truly think he's almost as talented as they come. You know, you you see everything you like to see in a fighter. Great Muay Thai, technical boxing, the left hook he lands on the out, you know, when they're closing distance um, on him. As clean as can be, the high kick that he has. Um, and then his grappling. Uh, the scrambles with Gamrot, uh, Islam, they're very high level. Um, and then what he did to Joel Alvarez, the ground and pound, is just absolutely filthy. Uh, the one knock on Armin that I've always kind of had is the size a little bit. Um, at 155 and only 5'7", he does carry a lot of muscle. We kind of saw over Gamrot, tends to fade a little bit. Um, he's built kind of like Taporia a little bit to me, and I think with the right kind of diet, oh, he's still only 26 years old. I don't really think 45 is like out of the realm, and I think he could make a very good run there. Um, in this matchup against Amir, although he's a little bit outsized and the size could get him in trouble, going to have significant speed advantage that I think he'll like. Um, with Demir, you know, it's not Islam and Gamrot, but, I mean, still Tiago Moises, you know, Guram Kutateladze, he's fought some pretty good names since coming over here as well. A lot of these guys you'll hear this week, the dark horse of the division, you know, the skill set is there. Um, he's got great size to go along with it. He just kind of lacks the finishing upside that, you know, that Armin really has. He's still searching, I think, for the first UFC finish. It's more of the patient, surgical approach, stays out of danger, stays behind his jab, and it's going to take you a lot longer to climb through the division when you're just winning all these decisions here. Um, you know, Armin this week, you know, he's having to come back from a loss that he might have probably kind of got robbed and taken out underneath him. I hear him kind of talking about the other lightweights in the division. I don't want him to come think that this is just a regular old lightweight. I, I don't want him to look overlook Demir here. Um, you know, I am going to, I'm going to side with Armin, um, but I do think it, like, you know, minus 200. We're getting a little bit wide. I think it's going to be a 29-28 decision. So I'm going to say the value is sitting on Demir. I think you got a pretty strong feeling on the other side, though. Yeah, man, I, I will agree. I think it's safe to say both these guys will be at the top of the division for years to come. Demir at only 31 and Armin at 26. And I do feel like the general consensus for this fight is that it's going to be a close one and on the judges' scorecards. And while I agree the judges' scorecards have been an absolute travesty recently, I do not agree with this being a close fight. I think Demir does a really good job of winning, but never winning too much in his fights. You kind of talked about that. He does a good job sticking to the outside, choosing when to shoot for those takedowns to secure rounds. And as his level of competition has increased, he's not been able to rely on that takedown as often as we have seen in the past. And we saw that evidence of that in the Guram Kutateladze fight. I'm really gonna. I'm really having a hard time believing he's gonna have any success grappling here against Armin. Armin's way stronger. I don't see Demir having success getting to the hips of Armin. Um, in the stand-up, I do think it's fair to say Demir might have some early success keeping uh, Armin at distance, circling off the cage. But that being said, Armin does a really good job of closing off the octagon and forcing these grappling exchanges or walking his opponents into the power shots that he throws. Um, I think visually it'll be a lot of forward pressure from Armin along with the harder shots being landed by Armin. And I do think that there will be moments in the fight where Armin's able to find grappling success. Now, I do think that Demir's defensive grappling is good enough to where he's not going to be getting controlled for huge amounts of this fight. But I do think that Armin is good enough, is a good enough wrestler to get him to the mat multiple times over the course of 15 minutes. 
If this was a 25-minute fight, I might have more concern for the cardio of Armin, but in a three-rounder, I think he'll be much more aggressive with his wrestling attempts and is much more willing to give 100% the entire time as opposed to coming into this fight for a five-rounder. Um, I've got Armin by decision, but I would not be surprised if Demir gets caught on the feet by Armin and he's able to implement some of that ground and pound that we've seen in his previous fights that is finishing people. Um, and ultimately, I am thinking that Armin gives Demir his first UFC loss. It was a difficult task picking a fight of the night for me, but this one is what I landed on. It's Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres taking on Juicy J. Julian Arosa. Um, we got two savvy veterans of the sport matched up against each other, with this being their 40th combined UFC fight. Arosa has clawed his way back into the UFC from coming up short on the Ultimate Fighter Season 22 to fighting back on the regional scene to get another call up, to going 0-3 in his first three fights back in the organization, to now being 6-1 and in his last seven and riding a three-fight win streak. This guy never quits and is guaranteed to bring a fight for better or for worse. Um, he's with nine of his 13 UFC fights ending inside the distance. Bruce Leroy on somewhat of a career resurgence himself, yeah. although recently slowed down after his last fight with Sadiq Youssef. Caceres is 5-1 and one in his last six, which is a huge switch up from his win-some-lose-some yeah. type of career up until this point. I think that this fight's going to take primarily... Uh, take place primarily on the feet with Juicy J being the aggressor and Leroy kind of using his footworks to skirt around the outside of the cage and pick his shots. I think Arosa could run into some problems early with the distance. Caceres is definitely a tough puzzle to figure out, um, but I do think as the fight progresses and Caceres starts to slow down, there'll be plenty of opportunities for Arosa to bring some of his you know, preferred chaos into the fight. Arosa has definitely be, been chinny his entire career, and even though his chin's held up in his last few fights. It's, it's always a gamble on whether or not uh, this night it's going to be able to hold up. I know he cuts a lot of weight to make 145, so it would be important for me to see him on the scale before I put any money on him. Um, I do think that there's a possibility that Caceres catches him early, puts him away. And, you know, even though Caceres is, you know, Bruce Lee, Bruce Leroy, a primary striker, he's only got three KOs over 32 fights. And uh, if he's not able to put Juicy J away early, I do pity the man on the opposite end of a Rock DeRosa because Arosa's going to throw the kitchen sink at you, uh, which is why this is my fight to watch. Man, very, very good fight like you talked about between savvy vets. Caceres quietly gotten up to 34 years old now. You know, he's 26, 26 fights deep into his UFC and almost still looks like a 26-year-old out there, you know. Um, and you're like, started to put things together lately. Won like five of his last six fights or something. Um, took that big step up against Sadiq Yusuf. But, you know, I thought he actually gave a damn good account of himself watching that back. I know I laid chalk on Sadiq Yusuf and sweated it to an extent. You go back and watch his fight with Choi, very impressive win. Talented, long, lanky grappler. He can wrap those long legs again around you, good at taking your back. And on the feet, he's the longer, faster striker. We'll throw some unorthodox stuff at you. And early on, I think he's going to be really hard to track down, hit cleanly. I think, you're, you know, it is a small cage, thankful for Julian, but I still think he's going to have a hard time landing clean on Caceres. Um, the problem is I just don't think Caceres has any power to deter Julian's forward pressure whatsoever. And I think that's what's going to end up being, the, you know, the issue for him as Arosa's kind of found his groove as well. Big featherweight likes to use that forward pressure. I think he holds some more powerful strikes of the two if, if anybody finishes each other on the feet, but... I kind of see this one kind of going like the Woodson and Jordan fight where 
You kind of see Woodson and Jordan up early on the strikes. They just don't have the stopping power to deter him in round three when he's made you use all that lateral movement and zapped your gas tank. He's going to start taking you down. He's landed two take two or more takedowns in all of these wins lately, except for like the 50-second finish over Nate Landwehr. Um, I could see him winning minutes late in, the, uh, late in the fight with his grappling. It's a very close fight. I think it's a good one. I can't really say I like having money on either one of these guys. I don't really like having money on Leroy and oh man, help you if you bet Julian Rosa as a big favorite, you know. So I think Rosa has more weapons. I'm gonna slide with him or slightly lean with him as well. I think we got a killer fight on our hands. For my fight of the night, I took Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Saeed Jokeb. Kakramanov here. I think it's another extremely fight, uh, one that's tough to call. Originally, I was siding with Nurmagomedov, but if you're doing some some research, man, I think Pickham line could be could be correct, man. Uh, for Nurmagomedov, you know, he's a very talented striker, not the typical Nurmagomedov that you see. You know, he's the one out here throwing unorthodox spinning attacks, a real kick uh, variety arsenal. You don't you don't really see him out here shooting double legs, locking up the Dagestani handcuff, nothing like that. Um, you know, he has shown me some some dangerous, I guess, tools on the mat in a Stamen fight. You know, Stamen shoots a takedown early, and he locks up the guillotine, takes that fight early. But then in the Douglas De Silva De Andrade fight, you know, I, I kind of saw the cardio take a dip after round one, and I saw De Silva, you know, win around two off of him and kind of have some grappling success that I didn't really like. When I was going into tape study here with Kakramanov, uh, he makes it kind of hard for me to bet against him because, to me, he's kind of shown that he's got that dog in him twice and kind of willing to fight for your money, you know. In his debut against Trevin Jones, he gets the call while he's in Uzbekistan, doesn't tell the UFC about about it, flies over, like almost kills himself to make weight, still gets the late stoppage. And then, you know, to kind of like, I guess, flip the script on Lonnie Lawrence, you know, who was thought to have that big wrestling upside, and Kakramanov goes out there and lands 10 takedowns on him. You know, it was impressive to me. Um, he's definitely not on the same level of striking as Saeed. The striking defense does worry me a ton, as I think Saeed's also the much faster striker of the two. But I think as the fight goes on, Kakramanov, if he's still there, could make this a dirty fight that he lands some of these takedowns. Uh, he is a public dog this week, which I always like being on the other side of, typically. Um, and I am going to stay with my gut here. I'm going to go with Saeed Nurmagomedov to win a decision here. Won't have any action. Um, any thoughts on this fight? I think, you know, when you get a Nurmagomedov at Pickums, <laughs> it's always something that, you know, catches your eyes like for OB's sure. hit at 80% or something. Right, <laughs> man. I mean, I don't know. I, I do think that I understand why the public dog is Saeed Yacoub here. Um but with his loss to Pipe Vargas, it's not aging well. Um, I know Pipe Vargas was kind of renowned as being one of the higher level regional scene guys, but as that's panned out, it's not that great. His win over Trevin Jones and Ronnie Lawrence, I think you kind of touched on both of those guys being maybe a little bit overhyped here. And I do think that this is a huge step up in competition against um, Saeed. And I think that this will probably be his second loss to a Nurmagomedov on his record. For my fighter to watch, I picked Cheyenne Vlismas. Uh, this was an easy pick for me for multiple <laughs> reasons. You know, one, she kind of bad. She kind of bad. bad. Two, uh, they do have her as a two to one favorite in the UFC while she's still looking for a staple win. And lastly, she's only a year removed from getting head and arm thrown four times by Bunny Ruiz. 
Um, I do think that this will finally be her chance to get a win over someone with multiple UFC wins and would honestly put to rest a lot of the concerns I have for her moving forward. At only 27 years old, she's bound to be making significant improvements fight on a fight-to-fight basis, but this is the first time that she's been matched up uh, with a wrestler in the UFC. Uh, the head and arm throw was a weird attack, and maybe she just hadn't nailed down that defense for that specific technique. But now she's going to have to prove that she does have the tools to keep the fight standing and give her the best chance of winning. Corey McKenna, definitely not a world beater mm-hmm. by any means, but she has picked up a solid 3-1 and UFC record with her only loss coming by split decision. And one of those wins coming over little monster Vanessa <laughs> Demopoulos, who is on a three-fight UFC win streak. Um, McKenna has been able to score multiple takedowns in her last three UFC fights, and it'll surely be her best best path to victory here against Cheyenne Blissmas. Cheyenne does need to prove that she's not just a pretty face and actually has the skills to compete with legitimate UFC talent, which is why she's my fighter to watch. She looks in great shape, Blissmas does online this week, you know. Um, I could see this fight being a whole lot like the, the Elise Reed fight, you know, and if she doesn't really press for that takedown early i could see mckenna losing those minutes on the feet but minus 200 i get it you know stay off of that uh jake matthews for my fighter to watch this is his second fight back after from his big layoff this guy's still only 28 years old and he's pretty much grown up in front of us in the ufc he's fought some real tough guys like sean brady lee the leech and you know historically um prior to his last one a whole lot of his fights involve a whole lot of grappling whether it's you know him being on bottom or him being on top and I think I see that as probably the clearest path to victory for him here against Samuelsberger. You you watched the the fight with Samuelsberger against AJ Fletcher, and if that guy had any type of gas tank, he was easily beating Samuelsberger, throwing him through the ringer in round one. Um, and and so I like Jake Matthews on the mat, and also looks like he's turned a corner with the striking too. He hurt Jing Liang on the feet, and then I mean the return against Andre Fialho, the striking looked on point. You know his hands looked much faster. He was always throwing in one um, multiple punch combinations. I think he's got the superior gas tank of the two, and I can see this guy putting together winning minutes on the mat um, and in the and in the striking. Matthews is going to be the pick. Um, I've always tried to fade Simmelsberger in a whole lot of USC's fights, um, but I am a bit of concern here as I laid plus 140 on his comeback, minus 250 here. So um, curious to see if it's maybe a, just a bit of a market overcorrection or if he goes out there and duplicates that performance. So Jake Matthews for fighter this week. For my underdog of the card, a little bit difficult. I don't feel too strongly about this, but I do think that Bobby Green is a good underdog on this card. Um, Green is one of these guys where throughout his entire career, he's always made fights close. Um, I think that he has the um, counter-wrestling that Dover's not going to be able to get him down any. And then on top of that, he has the cardio that he's going to push a pace from round one to the end of round three. And I do think that Dober has shown in the past that his cardio is is a problem. Um, so if Green can continue that pace, I think there's opportunities for late finishes. I think there's opportunities for him to um, just get the better of the exchanges on the feet and win it in the eyes of the judges. Um, so for me, Bobby Green is my underdog of the card, although I'm not probably playing him myself um maybe if i dive a little bit more into it or if i see something that i like over the course of the week i might look towards it but as of now bobby green no, i really like that bet man you know he's gonna fight for your dollar all the way the mm-hmm. probably to the judge's scorecard nine times out of ten nine times out of ten uh my underdog probably not gonna necessarily agree with it but i'm gonna go with Demiris magulov he was sitting at plus 159 you know, i'm not gonna go too in depth um but i think the ufc kind of learned a little bit in that gamrot fight that hey, this is two elite high-level lightweights. 
let's maybe not make someone a minus 250, minus 300 favorite here. A lot of us kind of disrespected Gamrot, and that fight played out a whole lot closer than we anticipated. And I can just kind of see that here. With Tamir having that size advantage and already having a very sharp jab, I think it'll make it a little difficult for Armin to close the distance um, and get that wrestling because I also think he's got really good counter-wrestling, good takedown defense. Um, but if Armin does find it, I don't necessarily think Demir's going to find extended periods of time stuck on the bottom either. Um, I will reiterate, I'm going to side with Armin, um, but I, I do think it should be a little bit closer to a pick em. I don't think Demir should be past like plus 130 in this spot and his plus 225 decision prop, which is his real only path to victory, number one win condition. I think it's a little bit wide as well if you do want to you know, tangle with an underdog this week. Um, I think he, he has some value sitting on that money line. For my prop bet, I'm going to be taking Jared Cannonier by TKO at plus 275. Um, I think that Sean is going to be standing in the middle of the octagon there to be hit all five rounds. Um, he's coming off of a KO loss. Sean has a lot of, uh, probably has way better volume striking which I think could could cause concerns for Jared Cannonier over the course of 25 minutes and it might even get to the point where in these later two rounds Cannonier's looking for that KO shot um, that being said Cannonier's shown that he can keep that power um, as the fight goes on so I do think um, that his by TKO prop at plus 275 his main win condition has quite a bit of value um, which is why it's my prop of the week I definitely think that's his win condition because, like you said, probably get out volumed the later this does go. Um, prop for me, I'm going to go with Manel Cott versus David Dvorak over two and a half minus 145. Over is not something I typically hit, um, but buried on the prelims is this very, very good fight here. And I think minus 145 is already an easy price to play for flyweight sometimes, and especially when you have like elite level flyweights um, here. I think they both will struggle. Um, as they climb the division with you know their defensive wrestling, I think a good wrestler will cause them both issues, but I don't think there's any grappling involved in this fight. I think it's going to be a very close striking battle on the feet. Both guys are counter strikers first. Neither one of them are typically leading the dance with a ton of volume. Uh, neither one of them typically putting themselves in danger. And you know, M Manel Cop until his last two, you, you see him take like all of round one off to download that information and get those reads. And you look historically, both of them are extremely durable as well. They've both only been finished one time throughout their entire pro careers. And while Cop with the speed advantage is probably the one with the finishing upside, he's coming off two, you know, first round finishes. But I truly think this fight sees a scorecard 65-70% of the time here. So I'm gonna take an over two and a half at minus one forty five with Cop and Dvorak. Moving on to our best bet section. I'm gonna be going with my only bet as my best bet, and that's Armin's money line. Um, I've already touched on it a little bit, but I do think that Armin's going to have all of the moments in the fight. I think that he's going to be the one pushing forward. I think he's going to be the one initiating the grappling and actually having some success. And then when it's on the feet, I think that the more powerful shots are going to be landed by Armin. Um, if this was a longer fight, I'd have a little bit more concerned about Armin gassing with Demir being so uh, comfortable in long five-round fights. Um, but it's not. So I do think that Armin will uh, easily take at least two of these rounds, but I'm kind of looking at it as a 30-27 for Armin. Um, whether it's with the judges or Armin trying to come back and get that crappy 
uh, robbery, whatever decision loss that he had over Mateusz Gamrot, and he wants to come in here, show that he can get a, a finish, not leave it up to the judges. I do think that Armin's the side here, so he is my best bet. Yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean about having the more winning moments, the ones that sway the judges. That's mm-hmm. definitely going to be on the side of Armin. Uh, best bet for myself, I'm going to steal two guys here, was, you know, I, I talk about it in quick pick section, but this is my only pick, only locked uh, play I had in for the week until today as well. I'm going to take a parlay of Sergei Morozov and Amir Albazi. I uh, got in on it last week, and I think both of these guys, some of the best chances of winning on Saturday, and I really like the bat guys where I think there's significant advantages on the mat, and that's what I see here with Morozov. I know he did screw you against Douglas Dayandraj, but, you know, he almost finished Dayandraj in round one and then just kind of blew the wad, and hopefully he learns from that if it ever happens again, but Journey Newsom was, I think, a step down from a lot of the guys Morozov's been fighting. I think he's faster on the feet, more versatile striker, and the absolute ability to, to take Journey Newsom down and neutralize him, and then pretty much the same with Albazi, who I think is one of the better flyweights on the roster right now, was supposed to be fighting Brandon Royval in, you know, in a big fight here, and now getting, um, you know, Costa stepping up on short notice, who's coming off a contender series. And the guy's young. I think he is. I think there's winnable fights on the UFC roster for him. I don't think this is one here. I think Albasi's just got the much better wrestling, world-class jiu-jitsu, should probably have success taking this guy down, probably eventually find the sub, but I'm not counting out him just dominating kind of like the Masters E fight, just dominating with the grappling over three rounds. So, both guys here, I think, have clear advantages um, to win. Sergey Morozov, Amir Albazi parlay for my best bet. Moving on to our quick pick section of the podcast, we start off the night in the bantamweight division where we see Sergey Morozov taking on Journey Newson. I have flashbacks when I even <laughs> think about Morozov, but I, I do think that he should get this dub here. Yeah, I think Morozov is a clear side here, part of my parlay. Taking on David Dvorak and Manel Kopp in uh, men's flyweight. I think it's a tough fight that goes the distance, but I think Manel Kopp is a, a legit talent when he's on his A game. I'm going to go Manel Kopp by decision. Yeah, there's there's very few people in the flyweight division that I think uh, could beat Manel Kopp. I'm pretty high on him as well, so I'm going with Kopp as well. Moving on to the welterweight division, Brian Battle versus Renat Fakradinov. I haven't looked into this fight the long surname in Fakradinov. It does make me want to go towards him. Um, Brian Battle, I know that he's got that dog in him, so I don't like fading him, but I am going to side with Fakradinov here just off of uh, initial look and pick. Yeah, man, you know, Battle is making 170 on short notice. I think he's at an experience disadvantage with Renat having double his fights. I think he's at a ground disadvantage. You've seen moments where Treshawn Gore is getting this guy down, and Told you I was one of that bet that I've been staring out all week that I haven't placed yet on Fakradinov, almost like Rose and Troy last week, you know. And I feel like I, I feel like when I don't play this one, it's gonna bite me. But I'm going Fakradinov as well. Uh, moving up, 55, uh, Mahashete taking on Hafa Garcia. This is the other bet I have locked in today. I do have one unit on Hafa Garcia's money line. I like him to take this guy, take him down, put him through the ring or through three rounds on the mat. I don't know. Garcia's going to have to prove it to me. I'm a fan of Mahashete. <laughs> I'm going to side with Mahashete here. Moving on to the Bantamweight division, Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. Um, I think that this is a steal as far as uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov's price tag. Um, I'm looking into the fight a little bit more before I make a play, but I am on the Nurmagomedov side. 
That's what my gut tells me as well, man. So might dig into it even more, and if you pull the trigger, might get me to as well. Uh, Julian Marquez taking on Deron Wynn at 185. Deron Wynn probably 195, not 185. <laughs> you know, he never makes weight and can't have the cardio to wrestle. But Julian Marquez can't wrestle either. I don't know. I'm going to go Marquez. I think he gets the job done. And let's go round three again. Yeah, I, I also think Marquez. I can't trust somebody who punches up. Uh, Wynn, Wynn just doesn't do it for me. I don't think that that's his weight class. And I think he's, he'd have to make some real big life changes to get UFC wins. Um Moving forward, we go to the welterweight division where Jake Matthews takes on Matt Semmelsberger. Um, I'm on the Jake Matthews train here. I think his price tag's a little too much for my liking, but I am on Matthews here. Yeah, it's too much for my liking after playing minus or plus one forty last time, but he might cover it. You know, I, I really do like Jake Matthews to win this fight wherever it goes. Cheyenne Vlissmith taking on Corey McKenna. Both girls seven and two record here. Vlissmith to me. I don't know, man. I think she had, she might have more ways to win the fight, but McKenna has, like, the clearest way that she can win it, you know? So it's a complete stay away. I'm going to shine with side with Cheyenne Vlismas. Um, this is a sketchy one. Vlismas was my fighter to watch, but I, I think McKenna is actually who I'm going to side with here. I think she has the wrestling upside, and until Vlismas can prove to me that she's patched those holes, I'm not believing it. Um, moving on to the middleweight division, Cody Brundage taking on Mikhail Olegzhechek. I, you know, I've tried to fade Olegzhechek multiple times now in the UFC, yeah. and it's not working out for me. Um, I do think that he has the slight edge here, and most anywhere he probably will have to, you know, fight off a couple of takedown attempts from Brundage, but I, I am going to side with Mikhail here. Yeah, I think he's at 185 where he should have been all along, you know. Um, I don't think he has a tough weight cut to get down here. I don't think he just wanted to cut weight at all at 205. But I think he holds one of the clearest advantages on anybody on the card in the stand-up. His hands are lightning quick, the way he sets up his left hands. I think he puts Cody Brundage away in round one um, very, very easily. Let's go on to Drew Dober taking on Bobby Green. Close fight, man, close fight. Bobby Green... Notorious for making it close on the scorecards. But I think in the first two rounds, we're going to see Drew Dober do enough to enough to win it on the judges' scorecards. I'm going to side with Drew Dober. I'm actually I'm going to go with Bobby Green here. I think he's durable enough to withstand Drew Dober's um, you know, all-out pace, and I think Dober is, is subject to have a cardio problem as the fight goes on. So I'm going to go Bobby Green here either late or winning it yeah. two rounds to one. Moving on to the featherweight division, Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres taking on Juicy J. Arosa. Um, I think this could be a really, really tough fight for Arosa and him sitting at a favorite price tag sketches me out. Yeah. I think it's a coin flip fight, and if this fight stays on the feet, I think Caceres is a better striker. So I'm going to go Caceres here. I'm going to lean the other way in Arosa, but I'm, I'm 100% with you on this fight. is a lot closer. Don't lay whatever minus something on Julian Arosa. Mm -hmm. Um, Amir Albazi taking on Alessandro Costa. Again, I think Costa, I think he's a legit talent, but I think he's just bit off a little bit more than he can chew here in his debut. I like Amir Albazi. Submission decision. Probably one of the two. Yeah, it's it's tough. I don't know much about Costa, but this is a big ask for his debut. So I'll also lean Amir Albazi here. In the co-main event, 
155, Armin Saryukin taking on Demiris Magulov. Armin Saryukin's my guy. I'm going with him. I told you where the value is, but this part's about who I think is going to win the fight. I'm going to side with Armin Saryukin with you as well, man. Uh, main event, last main event, 2022. We got Jared Cannonier squaring off Sean Strickland at middleweight. And I think we're going to go out on a disagreement. I'm going to take Sean Strickland here. We are going out on the disagreement. I've got Jared Cannonier here. I think he'll find the chin over 25 minutes, and Sean's going to give him that opportunity. Well, man, 14 fights for us on Saturday. Great weekend of fights. Um, hopefully, produce as much finishes as last week did. You know, don't need those judges again. Uh, but I appreciate you guys watching. We'll see you next year. Peace.